This is the Manifest Your Greatness podcast, episode number 102. Hi friends, I'm Curtis J. Washington. And look, the purpose of this podcast is simple. We are constantly being bombarded with messages like, we could be happy if only we had a particular thing, or we could be successful if only we made X amount of dollars, or we could be at peace if only so-and-so loved me. These messages are not only disempowering, but also they are simply not true. This is because it's not about where you are and where you want to be. It's about who you are right now and who you wish to become. Once you know what the ideal you looks like, then you will automatically start becoming aware of what steps you can take right now to move in the right direction. And the goal of this podcast is to help you look within and discover all the love, all the beauty, and all of the unlimited potential that you already possess and for you to set it free for you and for the world to see. Welcome to the Manifest Your Greatness podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to join this episode of the Manifest Your Greatness podcast, where we explore practical and actionable steps to help you manifest the greatness that you already possess deep inside. Today, we have a special guest. His name is Nathan Garrison. I'm honored to have him as our guest. And if you spend a lot of time in the ocean, uh, like I do, um, you've more than likely seen uh, people wearing his products or like me, you wear them yourself. The product that I'm referring to is called Shark Bands. And Nathan is the co-founder of this amazing company committed to helping deter shark attacks without harming sharks or the environment. And they are becoming wildly popular and hugely successful in doing just that. Popular Science pronounced Shark Bands as their greatest recreation inventions winner uh, men's journal and triathlete magazine both called it gear of the year and the list of shark bands accolades goes on and on even president obama has been spotted multiple times paddleboarding in hawaii with his shark bands securely fastened on his ankle uh, and if you need further proof on their effectiveness at deterring sharks, check out the testimonials on sharkbands.com or simply check out some of the amazing footage on YouTube capturing these incredible devices in action, protecting beachgoers all over the world. Shark Bands, the company, was established in 2014, and Shark Bands technology is based on over a decade's worth of peer-reviewed scientific research on the use of magnetic technology as an active and effective shark deterrent. And in 2020, Shark Bands launched their Shark Bands fishing division, which offers captains the ability to finally protect their catch. Shark Bands also pledges 3% of profits for ocean conservation. So with that, Nathan, I'm just so grateful that you've taken the time to get together today for this talk and welcome to the Manifest Your Greatness podcast. Thank you, Curtis. I'm stoked to be here and you did a phenomenal job of that intro. I think you're hired <laughs> if you ever need <laughs> in there. Thank yeah. You. Well, you know, and, and we've talked previously, of course, and I mentioned that, I mean, this is what you've done. Um, not only do I find it fascinating just from a technology perspective and a safety perspective, but 
it's changed my life and it's changed the life of my family, you know, and I mentioned to you that we are all, we live in Hawaii and we're in the water constantly. And uh, my daughters, especially my youngest, she's 13 now, she's always had a fear of sharks. And, and honestly, me too. I was brought up in the Jaws generation and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just, just completely frightened of what could be out there. Uh, but at the same time, I love the ocean, and so does the rest of my family. We just love to be out there. And last year, well, it's, it's been almost two years now, we joined an outrigger canoe paddling club. And mm -hmm. we loved it, and we were going out on these canoes and um, trying to, you know, the whole family was excited about doing this. And my youngest daughter could not get over the fear of um, capsizing in the canoe and, and sharks, you know, and she just, she couldn't relax. She didn't want to go out. Whenever we left the bay, we could tell she wasn't having any fun, uh, just wanted to get back to shore. And, uh, and even just going to the beach, uh, you know, any rock that looked funny, any turtles, anything would just startle her, you know, until she knew what was going on. Um, and we, that was our first purchase when we moved. I grew up in Hawaii, but I'd been away for a long time and we moved back a few years ago. The first thing we got was shark bands for the family. And, um, wow. and that completely just changed the way that everyone has felt, I think, just in the water. It's definitely made it much more obvious to me that my daughters uh, in particular are more relaxed in the water. And like you always say, it's a deterrent, but it's that even if it's 10%, 15%, whatever it is, that peace of mind that you know, you're doing more to protect yourself. And it, it gives you um, a bit more confidence to go out. And it's just been something that has opened up, I think, the possibilities for what other ocean sports that they all may become involved in as they get older, because now they're much more open to the idea of being out in the open water, and they're much more relaxed, and, and they can enjoy it more, which is just a fantastic thing to see when you live in the islands, especially. So, um, so yeah, so I, that was the original reason I contacted you, is just to say thank you, because it's made a huge impact for us personally. Well, I really take that story to heart. It's amazing to hear that. I mean, those are the exact types of things that I didn't necessarily expect when I started this company, but fairly quickly, I would receive letters, uh, emails from people like you uh, expressing this type of sentiment that it either enabled them or someone in their family or a close friend to enjoy the ocean in a way that they hadn't before. And those stories are incredible. I'm like so grateful that you just shared that with me. And also the like stories of people who have actually deterred sharks in the wild at a close range when they've actually been in, in an encounter with one that was dangerous. Um, yeah. So it's like those those two angles of how the product's been able to help people has been like the most fulfilling part of the journey of starting this company for me. So I'm yeah, I'm just overjoyed to hear that your family has benefited so much from it. And you know, whether the fear is rational or not for your daughter falling out of the outrigger in the you know larger swell outside the bay you know maybe rational and maybe irrational of course there's some outside chance that that there could be a shark encounter the regardless like the peace of mind is there and it comes from a place that's real because the product does actually reduce the risk so mm -hmm. it's like an authentic way of providing yourself that it's not some like placebo effect right so yeah it's the first actually outrigger canoe version of that that i've heard but i've 
had, you know, everything from SCP to like other types of paddlers. So that have a similar, similar thought about falling in. And we actually had one guy in Santa Barbara who fell off his stand up paddleboard and a shark came a great a juvenile great white came up to him and did like a full 180 and, and took off and he wrote in sharing that story and it you know i guess it's one of those examples that hey you think it'll never happen if you fall off your board but you know there's one example and that's just the guy who decided to write into me so uh, pretty cool story there too yeah in, in terms of outrigger canoe paddling here uh, the one-man canoes are, are much lower to the water and have a tendency to flip a lot more easily. Mm -hmm. And it was only a, a few weeks ago, um, some very, I mean, these are professional canoe paddlers and they go out on their one-mans and they're, you know, they, they go out far and they, they were actually very close to the bay. And apparently a tiger shark got curious and took a grab out of the rudder of one of the uh, of the canoes and um, i mean that happened wow. right in our local bay and they didn't panic and they just kind of paddled back to shore and there was no encounter other than that but just hearing about these things you know thinking well very easily you could have panicked and flipped the canoe over and then uh, yeah. you know, who knows so yeah it's i i never go out without mine on my ankle either that's a great point i mean that that shows that i'm not fully understanding the situation that yeah like i didn't even think about the fact that the shark might bite bite the edge of the outrigger which could definitely happen here in california with a, with a great white too because sometimes they do attack kayaks so yeah um, yeah. yeah it makes perfect sense and thinking about it from that bad perspective yeah you definitely be thinking twice about going out there without anything to to protect yeah. you after after hearing a story like that yeah for sure and you yourself so you grew up spearfishing you're a spear fisherman a diver a surfer um, so you always were in these environments, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about one of the major catalysts, it sounds like, was the incident that happened with your close friend. Um, mm -hmm. But what was that journey like, and how did that lead to this desire to do something, and not only the desire, but, I mean, you're, you were dealing with a, a technology that at the time was very under the radar. Um, it's kind of one of those things that you know everybody's thinking about so it's kind of one of those things that you probably were just like why isn't someone solved this already i mean <laughs> but how did all of this kind of come to fruition and lead you down this track to be involved in the founding of shark bands yeah it's it's a slow journey that involved like a compounding of skills and being in the right place at the right time and evolving as a person and as a business person to the point that I would be able to understand the problem and also be capable of creating a solution. Uh, you know, when I was 18 years old was when our family close friend, Nick, he got attacked by a bull shark off the Folly Beach Pier in Charleston, South Carolina. It came up from underneath him while he was surfing, grabbed him by the ankle, pulled him off the board underwater broke his ankle, um, caused some ligament damage, a bunch of stitches. And, you know, I remember him telling me that the doctor had said, you know, we don't know if he'll be able to surf normally again, or even like go running normally again after that happened. And then he, I mean, he was always like a top athlete. So he was able to 
just use his natural abilities plus determination and, you know, physical therapy and whatnot to make a, a full recovery from that. And he actually lives in Santa Barbara also. And uh, we still surf together all the time. He actually works for one of the local surf schools and runs their after school program. So he's like a mentor to these kids now at what, like eight, 18 years later after that attack is in charge of getting kids into the water. And, you know, he obviously has talked about the products with those kids and some of them use it. And uh, we actually like did a little donation for a bunch of the, the kids in the program a year or two ago. So that's like the beginning is, okay, he has this attack and that changes my perspective on the ocean. I never had any concern about it growing up in Charleston in and around it all the time. I actually worried a lot more about alligators because we'd be uh, wakeboarding or tubing or whatever, like way back in some of the like estuary marsh areas and you definitely see gators in there sometimes. So that was kind of on my mind until that attack occurred. And then it was like, okay, if this is gonna happen to him, then what's going to happen to me? He's the athlete guy, you know, this, this isn't like based on your skills or your capabilities on any level. It's just wrong place at the wrong time. And it could happen to anybody. So, um, when I moved to California after college, five years later, there was a guy who lived on my street that was the same age as me, who was killed by a great white surfing in an area near where I had had spent a lot of time surfing and that definitely rattled me a bit just you know again close to home in a place that I was had basically put this out of my mind and then all of a sudden it comes rushing back to the forefront of reality again and then another person was killed in the same place exactly two years to the day uh later um and I, at, the, at that time, I was working at a footwear company, and I was in the creative department. And in that job, I was required to be a liaison with all of the different departments in the company because I was managing the project. So it was like, okay, the design team needs this so that they can deliver it to the factory. And this has to be done by X date because the marketing team needs these assets to create stuff to go to the sales team so that the sales team can go out and sell into accounts by this date so that they can land product in store for the season. And, you know, here's the display that needs to go with that. So it was like, okay, now I'm understanding the product creation process and getting like a crash course in this, like basically going to business school for how you, how you create a product, all the steps involved, um, con conceiving of it all the way to landing it on a shelf in a retail store. And without that experience, there's no way that I could have successfully created this product. Um, so my dad, yeah, he's an entrepreneur as well. Uh, my brother also is. So we, and he, my brother was like a year and a half ahead of me in starting his own business, which is in. I know you're a big guy for Phantom Nutrition. He's got a superfoods company that he does direct trade um, organic superfoods out of uh, South America and Southeast Asia. So. Um, I was learning about the import and export process from him and, um, my dad just having the gray haired wisdom of being in business for 35 years. Um, so I had the right people around me. I had the motivation for my self-preservation and I had, um, the fortunate timing of my dad and I reaching out to the scientists who had this 
technology, you know, like you said, I start Googling, like, I want protection from this. Like if I can have something to make it 10% less likely that I'm going to get bit by a shark and it's not going to impact my performance in the water or look ridiculous, I'm like ready to go buy it right now. And I go online and there's nothing like that. So I say, okay, well, man, like there's gotta be some way that we can create something. Like it seems, seems crazy that there's nothing that could be done here. So we figured out that this technology existed, had been primarily researched for fishing using powerful permanent magnets, which generates an electromagnetic field. And that disrupts the shark's electrical sensory organ, which is the most powerful of any animal. And it's actually the most acute sense as yet to be discovered by humans, by scientists. Um, it's about 5 million times more powerful than any sense that we possess as a human. So try to like, you talk, it's impossible to even imagine what it's like. Imagine you can see 5 million times better than you can right now, or you can smell 5 million times better than you can right now or here at that level. I mean, it's like incomprehensible. And the shark has been around for hundreds of millions of years and it's evolved this incredibly acute sense. So this device, you know, it fits in the palm of your hand, but uh, in case you're looking at that as a human, how is that going to stop an eight foot bull shark from biting something? You know, how is that even, how is the shark even going to pick that up? And, and make a decision. Well, it's because they have this remarkably powerful sense. So in seeing and discovering this technology, we went to the scientists and negotiated a patent licensing agreement to create a wearable product, building on the research that they and other scientists had done in the use of these powerful permanent magnets in, in fishing. So we worked with them closely. We went through a number of testing scenarios. You know, the results are pretty obvious that you were reducing the risk of a shark attack when this was applied you were seeing significant avoidance behaviors from sharks when they got within range of it and you know we felt good moving forward knowing that we were already going to be able to help people to begin with and that we'd only just continue to improve from there on ways to adapt the technology, ways to wear it, ways to use it. And then, as you mentioned, taking it into the fishing space now. So that's really like the beginning of the journey and then how it's it sort of jumped off from there. Yeah. It's amazing, too, to kind of think, like you were saying, that it's such a small device. And you think of a shark, you think of this huge you know, just massive, tenacious, aggressive, potentially, you know, life-threatening animal. And you look at a shark man and it's so small and it looks so unassuming. It looks like an accessory, like you said. I mean, if you have it on, I've left mine on forgetting it's there. I don't know how many times I come home mm -hmm. and I'm like eating breakfast or something. And my kids, one of my kids will be like, you still have your shark bands on. And, you know, I'll make a yeah. joke or something, you know, but yeah. I forget I have it on. And to think that this little bracelet is capable of of making this huge shark just do a 180 in, a, in less than a split second and, and head off in the other direction when just previously it was thinking, what is this? Maybe we'll take a bite and find out. I mean, it's really hard to wrap your head around. Um, and I would imagine that it took a lot of people 
uh, some convincing or reassuring that this this thing can fend off and not only that not harm these sharks as well and and, and the footage is phenomenal i've seen i love bernie i love how you take yeah. bernie yeah, you grew up in the weekend at bernie's generation oh too. my so goodness if you're yeah. in jaws you're right there with, with yes. bernie. <laughs> brought back memories brought back memories for sure so um, and I, I love it. I love seeing how you put them in these situations. And it's just like, how, how is this? And you can't even see the, the bracelet until you zoom in, you know, sometimes. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so could you maybe share a little bit about how that process has been dealing with that? Perhaps the, the skepticism the or just skepticism. like, yeah, 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 that's yeah. Yeah, a good question. I, it's natural, I think, for people to be skeptical of something like this because of what you said. I mean, here's this large animal it has a stigma around it as being a hunter sort of like a bloodthirsty creature i mean the reality is that it's sharks are not like that they're most of the time they're just chilling hanging out um swimming around slowly and then but then when they want to go and eat something they get fired up and then they you know that's when you see the predator instinct come out and how efficient they are as hunters and it's because they have all five senses that we have and then they also have two more they have the electrical sense and the lateral line sense and it allows them to have like a reaction time and an ability to follow prey in the water that's and to like see at night and see with their eyes closed and um and that's th those are skills that we don't have so to start out with it's hard for us to conceive of what the sensation would be like for a shark to encounter this field and it, it requires some education. So a lot of what we do is is pushing the education around shark science, shark behavior, um, and how to also just be safe in the water if you do an, an encounter a shark. Because it's not just like, oh, I can throw on this product and go out there and like nothing's ever going to happen to me. I mean, sure, it reduces the risk, but it's by no means 100%. I mean, you can still go out there and, and do something dumb, you know, like don't, don't strap meat onto your body and go, you know, fish onto your limbs and go jump out there and expect that nothing's going to happen to you. I mean, yeah. this is designed to stop inquisitive sharks from taking a bite out of you because that's how they sort of test things. So you want to basically the only ask that you really have of the product is to convince a shark that you're not a food source so that they leave you alone. And the ability for these powerful permanent magnets that we use to do that is pretty high. And that's really like the order at, at hand that we're, we're providing. So it, when the shark approaches, it's going to sense the, the field at around six feet, and then it's going to get exponentially more intense the closer that it gets. And depending on the scenario, the shark will react sooner or later based on, you know, is it being stimulated to feed? Is there fish blood in the water? Is there like struggling prey? Have people already been feeding the sharks in the area? And in that, like, for instance, in that scenario, yeah, they're going to take a little bit longer to react as they get closer versus let's say you have a product on, there's no food in the water, the shark's casually cruising up and hasn't had that like hunting stimulus kicked off yet. And it experiences the field at maybe a six foot distance and then really quickly it decides, oh, I don't like that. I'm already wary and skeptical of this, this thing, this person in the water. And mm, I don't really like the way that that, that 
made me feel. So I'm going to, I'm going to go look for food elsewhere. You know, we're operating under the principle that wild animals will follow the path of least resistance to get food, which is just the principle of nature, whether it's a lion or whether it's a shark. If the, the animals are very intelligent and when they perceive a threat or danger, they're going to make a decision whether it's worth it to them to go after that thing. Because if a wild animal gets hurt, there's a really high percentage chance that it's going to die uh, or that another animal will see its disability and then take advantage of it. And that's, I mean, that's what sharks do, right? I mean, for a fish, if a fish is injured from something else, let's say a seal went after a fish and the seal didn't get it, but it wounded it. Well, a shark's a more skilled predator than a seal to eat, a, to hunt a fish. So the shark will go clean that up. Yeah. And, and that same principle uh, applies. So when you have the band or the fishing product, you're able to deter a shark based on the principle that it's going to follow the path of least resistance to get a meal. And yeah, dealing with skepticism, you know, like you said, the video is like the image is worth a thousand words and you can watch on our website. You know, we have dozens of hours. I mean, in the fishing space, I literally have hundreds of hours of footage of sharks being deterred from, from hooked fish on the line. And that's, frankly, that's been much more convincing than using the baited dummies. It's been, it's an easier scenario to construct. The scientific community really rallied around that because they said, okay, this is a conservation play. We can help protect fish stocks, snapper grouper species, both in the U.S., Australia, anywhere in those tropical, semi-tropical zones where there's a lot of sharks and there's a lot of fishermen and fishermen are getting many, many fish taken by sharks before they can get to the boat, which on the surface level might not seem like that big of an issue for people. But the reality is it's actually quite a significant issue for the sustainability of fisheries because you've got, let's say you have a, a catch limit of five fish of a specific species. Well, let's say sharks start eating them when they're making their way up to the boat. Okay, those don't get counted. The total mortality of fish that died on that day, whether from sharks or coming into the boat is not counted. So let's say it took 15 fish to land five because sharks took 10. Well, you've just tripled the amount of, of biomass that you've taken out of the ocean. Right. So that's a big problem. And that's been happening. You know, that's one fisherman. Well, it's not one. It's hundreds of fishermen maybe per day in a place like Florida or a place like Western Australia or Eastern Australia or the Gulf of Mexico. And you add that up over a period of months and then years. And it's like, it's much greater loss of fish in the fishery than what's being accounted for. So the scientists really wanted some sort of active mitigation measure that could be taken to help reduce this immediately. So this Zeppelin product that we created that basically replaces the sinker on your line, or it goes in addition to the sinker, sits about three feet below the tail of the fish after you've hooked up to the fish and you're reeling it to the surface. Okay, that's like a test that you can do. You just replace the sinker with this device. You put a camera on the line. There's this company called GoFish that makes these cameras that go on a fishing line. So you can see everything that's happening under the water. And without that technology, I mean, you wouldn't be able to know what was going on. But because of it, you can see the shark approaches the fish, boom, it runs into the field from the device and then it turns off. And again, that's not 100% of the time, but we had Noah do a study in Hawaii, Noah doing a study in Florida, and the Western Australian government did a really extensive study in one of the sharkiest areas 
of that country, um, the Montebello Islands in Northwest Australia, they did like over 70 fishing trips and they showed that it reduced the number of fish lost to the sharks by like 70%. Wow. Um, so that also hundreds of hours of footage of sharks being deterred. And when you have that type of support from the scientific community, that means a lot. You know, there's no, there's not like a debate at this point about whether or not these permanent magnets can deter sharks. It's really about us continuing this quote unquote citizen science in collaboration with the university partners, the government partners to understand the nuances of when exactly it's effective. And that teaches us a lot about shark behavior at the same time. So we've done a lot actually to advance the science and the understanding of the science around um, shark electroreception in response to these magnetic stimuluses. And that's, I know it's been appreciated by certain members of the scientific community. And we've also, you know, that's been reciprocal in, in their work that they've done to be generous with their time and wanting to understand how the sharks react to these fields as well. So yeah, it's been one of the best things about starting and running the business. So this experience with the magnet itself or the field that they are experiencing, I'm just trying to think about just in terms of the environment of the shark. Is this a sensation they would get anywhere else? Or is this kind of like something that would just be something that they've never dealt with that would just be kind of like, whoa, what what is happening right now? That's not something I've ever experienced. I don't want any more of it. Is that is that kind of the case or? Yeah, exceedingly unlikely that a shark in its natural environment would have encountered anything like this. I mean, we're talking about, these are not your, like your average fridge magnets. This is like the magnet that would go in like a Tesla engine. And it's like super powerful. You know, if you get two of them stuck together, you cannot get them apart with your bare hands, like not possible. It's also a magnet that people probably haven't had their hands on before because they're, you know, they can be kind of dangerous when they're not inside of a band or when they're not separated by some, at least some kind of a barrier, even if it's only like a couple of millimeters. Um, so yeah, for the shark, it's like comes near this. And it's akin to like having a really bright light shine in your eyes in a dark room. It's kind of how the scientists imagine that it might be for the shark. It's like overwhelming. Like if I shine a super like bright flashlight in your eyes, a policeman shines out in your eyes. Um, it's like, uh, it's like a really unpleasant and you want to turn away from it or you immediately close your eyes for them. It's like, they can't really turn the sense completely off, but instead they just turn away. Mm. Um, and learning about the senses too has been interesting. Um, sort of like if I close my eyes, right, my hearing becomes more attuned. And if I open my eyes all of a sudden, like, everything sort of balances out more. And the same could be said for the shark where let's say the water is murky. Okay, now it's really using that electrical sense more because it's sort of a way that they can see objects um, whenever they're not able to, to see because of darkness or turbidity of the water. Um, so when the water's murkier and then they encounter this field from the device, they're gonna have like a quicker and more intense reaction to it because they aren't using the eyes to see versus like, let's say you got some super clear water in the Bahamas or Hawaii and the shark can see really well. It's not relying on that as much until it decides to really like make a deliberate move 
to investigate something, potentially biting something. And then like those last couple meters, they're really honing in on that object, whatever it is, using a variety of senses and that electrical sense really comes into play. So it's also why like if you see sharks swimming around really casually and, and uh, we're doing some testing and they're not feeding, they're not like aggressively moving at something, you'll see like way less kind of avoidance behavior. But then when you really need it and want it to be working for you and the shark really makes a move at something is when you actually see like the most intense reaction. So it's another thing for people to understand, like there is like a lot of nuance with the shark's behavior and intelligence there and like hierarchy of senses that comes into play. Another example, let's say you've got a fish on the line and the shark is going to tap into its hearing first. It can hear the struggling of the fish. And then as it approaches, it's probably going to smell some blood like coming off of the fish in the water. It needs very minimal concentration to smell that and they will come and approach. And then once they get closer, then they're using their sight and then they're using the lateral line sense, which the lateral line sense for people that are maybe unfamiliar with that, it's like the sense that allows fish to school. Um, it's really interesting to read more deeply about it because it, it's almost like a, like a subconscious, like it's not a conscious thought that allows the shark to make the decision. It's, it's like a sensory organ that allows them to understand the movements of another fish near them and then like make a movement without even like really having to fully like think through it. Um, so they, it allows them to like track things really rapidly. And then in that last like two meters, as it's approaching that fish, all of a sudden there's this magnetic device there and that's generating a really powerful electrical field that the shark's going to move into. And it's like sudden and intense and boom, oh my God, like everything is saying, go bite this fish. And then they turn away. And they might be moving 25 miles an hour at that point. So even if it might be perceived, oh, the shark's moving too fast. It can't make that much of a decision. Well, it's actually more likely to make a decision and have a more dramatic reaction the faster it's moving to avoid the device in that scenario than it would be if it was just lazily moving along and wasn't in a hunting mode and, and encountered it. Right. Yeah, so it's almost like it's when it wants something and it's going to go after it, that's when everything becomes more sensitive and thus that's when the device is going to have the most deterring effect because they're in that, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm going to go for it. Uh, it, it looks great, I'm moving as fast as I can to go get it and then they feel everything that much more intensely as well when uh, they're deterred, so interesting. Exactly, which is pretty fascinating. I mean, it's counterintuitive to I think what a lot of people would imagine to be the case. So I, I like talking about that aspect of it because it's, it's always more complex beneath the surface than it, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm out in the water here often and I see spear fishermen uh, regularly. So I, I would just imagine that if they're not using these Zeppelins now, then there must be so much more of their energy being spent on, 
okay, I have a fish and now I have to not only be thinking about going down and getting other fish, but I also have to be worried about, you know, more, more heightened awareness of potentially sharks coming and maybe I should just take this fish and go in so I don't attract anything uh, and then go back out. So the Zeppelin, does that give them a little bit more time to deal with that? Or what about the behavior for the people? Would you recommend any changes with the device or how do you think that would play out? Yeah, good question. Uh, with the spearfishing, first off, have you done any free diving yourself? No, I have not, though. Not more than like maybe six to eight meters, probably at the uh -huh. most. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But just, I feel like you're a guy who would get pretty into it and would really enjoy the process of going to a free diving course. I know that there's one that there's one that they teach on all the different Hawaiian Islands by the Performance Free Diving Institute. Um, and just knowing your ethos around like, Peak, human peak performance. I mean, yeah. even if you don't do free diving, spear fishing, those types of things, this really bleeds over into so many other areas. Yeah. Uh, I did a core, I got into spear fishing maybe five years ago because my brother was really into it and he was kind of bugging me to get more into it. And we have really good spear fishing here. And um, he's like, but you got to, he like, go to this class, you're going to blow your mind. Um, I'm like, okay, so I took his advice. He got it for me for Christmas and I went and it completely blew my mind. I mean, if you had asked me before that class, how long I'd be able to hold my breath underwater, I would have been like mm, a minute, maybe, you know, I'll be like surprised if I could hit a minute. And on day two of this class, after just a few hours of learning some techniques that are super easy, I mean, literally anybody could do it. I could hold my breath for two minutes. And then when I was going to go and do like the real timed one where you just hold it as long as you can go, I held my breath for over four minutes and completely blew my mind. And I'd never in a million years would have thought that. I mean, you, you a hundred percent, I'd be shocked if you couldn't do three and a half. I bet you beat me. I mean, you look like you're in amazing shape. So, and then when you understand, okay, wow, like I'm physically capable of this that like confidence boost that it gives you in the water, not to go out and like do something dumb and risky, but just like, okay, if a wave hits me and I'm underwater for 30 seconds, like I know I've got this, yeah. like I'm gonna live and I'm gonna be able to come back to the surface. Um, is like a really empowering feeling. Yeah. And that gives you added safety in the ocean across the board plus just the breathing techniques that you get out of it i mean i use them every day i use them at my desk i use them when i'm driving the car just if i need to like calm down also yeah just for like these relaxation breathing techniques super helpful so like taking it back into spearfishing you know there are these techniques that help you be calmer and have better performance in the water which is part of the of dealing with sharks as well the more the more calm you can remain around them, the less interest they're going to have in bothering you, the less aggressive they're going to be. Yeah. And that's a part of it. And then when you have these deterrent devices and you're spearfishing, I think you use the phrase buying you more time or something to that effect. And that's really what they do. You can use the wearable product, the shark bands band on your ankles and wrists. You can use Zeppelin's 
on your weight belt to help protect you from approaching sharks. A lot of times what you see in spearfishing is sharks are really sneaky and they understand where your eyes are and like what your front and your back is. And so they come from behind when they know that you can't see them. So if you've got this on, it kind of helps watch your back for you a little bit and you'll see sharks turning away in in investigating you in that situation and then as far as once you actually shot a fish and you've got it and you're bringing it up uh we actually have a method that you can the zeppelin will like deploy down the line to the fish so it can help buy more time to land the fish but then once you've got one you know if there's sharks around you've got a bloody fish this isn't gonna like fully stop them from getting it um, even though there are instances that people respond and they say it did, it's like, I'm still not recommending this as like best practice. Like if you've got a fish and there's sharks around, it's common spearfishing safety that like you want to get that fish in the boat, assess the safety of, of the environment. Like are the sharks being too aggressive that you, you feel that it's not possible to continue. And, you know, every encounter with sharks is going to be different. You know, there's a different mood every day, different water conditions, different scenarios that are going to present themselves. So it's really about having a more comprehensive understanding of shark safety, how to behave around them and, and what to do if you encounter aggressive sharks. So you're not just, you know, coming in with a blanket policy. You know, you've got to evaluate the situation on a minute to minute basis. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm going to take you up on that advice to look into that free diving course, because different from the device, this is another way that people can not only feel more comfortable in the water, but just become a little bit more confident to, to try to do other things in the water that perhaps, um, you know, if you're in, in fear of, of, of a wave coming and holding you under the water for, for 20, 30 seconds, um, if you have had this training and these techniques, I can see that instantly could uh, make that a lot less intimidating. <laughs> so. For sure, yeah. I mean, when you're involuntarily being pushed underwater, even 10 seconds can feel like a really long time. Yeah. And when you have the knowledge that you have that capability and the techniques, then yeah, the ability to relax and not panic is increased dramatically. Like maybe you and your daughter could do it. I'm sure it would be like such a fun bonding experience. And yeah. um, you guys would both walk away from it, like blown away with your own capability. Yeah, we'll definitely have to look into that. Yeah, yeah, I'll send you some links for it. You can, you can check it out. Thank you. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, I did also have a question about the magnets that the shark bands themselves, do they have a lifespan at all or do they need to be replaced at some point? Yeah, they don't have like a lifespan where the magnets wear out. Um, it's more based on use. So if you use it a lot and beat it up a lot, I mean, they're super, I mean, you've experienced it. The thing's pretty, pretty bomb-proof, right? I mean, it's oh, very... Yeah. It's very sturdy. It's it, it's almost impossible to quote unquote break it. I mean, you have to like get out your hammer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you see any kind of like rusting going on, you know, things like that, then you can email us and we replace it because we have a three-year warranty on any kind of manufacturing defects. As far as like replacing it, you know, if you've got any concern if it's super beat up and you've been using it a lot, you know, every four or five years, you could look at replacing it. But if you don't see any like noticeable signs of like damage going on with the chassis, any kind of cracking, things like that, then 
chances are it's functioning totally normal. And if people have any kind of doubts or issues, like, you know, they can just write into us and we can help them out. Awesome. That's great to know. And I was recently looking at another new device that you have out. The Is it the FCSX, Shark Bands POD? Yeah, the pod that we developed in collaboration with FCS, the surf hardware company. Okay. um, They're like the market leaders in surf fins, but they also do leashes, track pads, basically all like surf hard goods. Super well-known like surf heritage brand. And that was a big milestone for us. We had developed a leash in 2015-16 that incorporated the technology into the leash cuff which was a cool product. It was a great start towards not having to add like an extra piece of gear whenever you go surfing to to build in a shark deterrent. Um, this is like an evolved, like even better version because you don't have to buy a whole leash. You can use it with any leash. So basically what it is, it's like a little pod-shaped device fits in the palm of your hand. And what you do is you insert that into a neoprene pouch, which then attaches to the leash cup. So... Oh. Um, you can wear it like that and it's like really sleek, not intrusive, you know, it's black. Um, you really, you surf with it. You don't even know it's there, whether you've got a wetsuit on or not. It's really light and it's like a super convenient way to add a shark deterrent when you're going surfing. And then you can also wear it in your board shorts. So even if you're just like casual beach goer, you, you can pop it in there. Or if you're surfing, you can pop it in your board short pocket. Um, put it in a wetsuit key pocket, even like some longboarders. I was actually doing this recently. I was just taking it and putting it up the leg of my wetsuit, like basically on the side of my calf muscle. Um, and it was like really like solidly held in there. I'm sure if I was surfing like big waves, like maybe it could possibly come out, but that was like another cool way of adapting it that I hadn't thought of before. So yeah, super versatile. And that's been a really exciting partnership and just, again, being able to like make the technology accessible to more people and being like more low key. Cause you know, like surfers, we don't want to like add more gear. We don't want to like look different in the water. A lot of the times we just want to be low key. So, um, it was like a really cool way of, of offering that to the surf community. Yeah. I know it's an ongoing thing. You're always looking at new possible ways to deter attacks in a, in a way that, of course, is not harmful to the environment and um, and respects sharks and doesn't do any damage to the ecosystems at all. And um, I was just curious, do you have a, a sense of perhaps what kind of thing might be coming next for shark bands at this point? Yeah, for sure. So there's like the whole... Um side that protects people and fish and that's like the quote-unquote consumer products side and then we have another division that's much more like r d based it's like all business to business and that's for commercial fishing specifically so we've got a project that has been ongoing for a couple of years now where we're working on developing a bait that will be a shark repellent bait that will be used in long lining uh, for tuna, swordfish, um, many other species that are caught on those uh, Pacific and Atlantic long lines. And there's a lot of regulations in those fisheries already, but they haven't been able to mitigate 
shark bycatch. And when you read those horrible statistics about millions of sharks being killed a year, most of them die on those commercial long lines. So imagine you've got like 3,000 hooks on a line. They're separated by like three to 500 yards per hook. And these things stretch like miles across wow. the ocean. And the fishermen drop those and then they sit for eight, 10, 12 hours and then they come back and pick them up. So they can catch tuna, swordfish, and then also sharks are going to come, they're going to sniff those baits, and then they're going to bite the baits, and then they're going to get caught as well. So if you catch a shark on these lines, the sharks are so strong and powerful, they can just tangle and trash the line, um, it kills the shark. Um, let's say, for example, like the Hawaiian fishery, you know, they catch a huge percentage of the tuna that's consumed by Americans. Um, mm -hmm. And the efficiency of that fishery and the sustainability of it is critical for us if we want to continue to enjoy these foods. Um, and when you have problems where many, many sharks are being caught and killed, well, that could potentially lead to the fishery being closed because it's too damaging to the sharks um, right. and like causes a cascading effect in the ecosystem. Um, you also have a situation where those sharks um, might be eating lots of the hooked fish and then the fish populations are getting decimated. Um, right. And then the third one, which is probably like the most immediate, besides like the conservation of sharks, like the most immediate one is just fishermen losing their um, ability to make fishing um, economically sustainable for them because they're losing so much time and fuel on the water and the, the money isn't, isn't there for them either. So that can happen because let's say they catch 40 sharks on your long line of 2000 hooks. Well, I've been told by the fishermen that if it if you don't catch any sharks, it might take like 10 hours to haul that whole line in and, and process all the fish that are coming and just getting them onto the boat, just hauling it back. Well, if you caught 40 sharks, it might take that time from 10 hours to like 40 hours wow. to get that back. So imagine you're on the high seas. I mean, when you're fishing off of Hawaii, yeah, it's just it's a crazy, it's a crazy job. You have, you have to drive 600 miles out just to get to the fishing grounds. And then you're out there for like two to three weeks. So if you've had a time that was supposed to take 10 hours, turn into 40, you've spent so much fuel dealing with that, so much time of labor, and then you got to put it right back out. You just kind of lost like three days. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine economically, like that causes problems in a hurry for people. So if you could, if they could prevent that from happening, that's a huge win. Um, or just reduce it by, you know, 50% would be a huge win. So we've been developing this repellent bait. It goes on the line. It's like the same bait that they already use, but it's got this, this, uh, what's known as a semi-chemical repellent goes inside of the fish. Um, that repellent creates like a plume around the fish bait. And when the shark comes up to it, it creates a like really highly unpleasant taste for it, but it's species selective. So from what we know so far, it appears that the uh, large bony fish are generally attracted to it and that the sharks are like selectively repelled by it. So it's this like 
crazy best of both worlds scenario. Um, and if, you know, this is applied at scale across a line, then you could, you know, it, it, it was already tested in swordfish in the Atlantic and it showed like up to a 75% reduction in, in sharks caught. So there's a trial that will take place in Hawaii, um, in March, um, which will take these baits and, um, and test them on the tuna long lines. So really excited about that for the conservation play and helping out the fishermen and just trying to create more sustainable fisheries. So that's like a whole other side of our business that I've been really focused on in the last couple of years, in addition to all the wearable things too. So yeah, yeah it's like a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with us. And um, those the new product development stuff is the thing I get the most stoked about. Yeah. Besides, That's of course, awesome. stories from people like you and other people <laughs> that have deterred sharks in the wild. Like those are the, that's the best messages I ever get. So, yeah, yeah, well, I definitely spread the message far and wide. I tell everybody, you know, these, I mean, they're affordable, they work and it gives you a, a bit of peace of mind. You know, I mean, some people are like, oh, why wear it? I'll be fine. And it's like, how does it hinder? It doesn't get in the way. You can barely tell that you have it on. I mean, it's just extra insurance. I mean, what could be bad about that? So I, I yeah, tell everyone. Why not? Definitely why not? Yeah. Up, right? <laughs> yeah. Why not? You know, so, and uh, I think you mentioned this before um, in, in another interview, but it's one of these days, I hope everybody thinks of shark bands like a seatbelt. It's just something you just do <laughs> when you go in the ocean, you know? Uh, I mean, it's just extra protection. So I think it's great. Yeah, everyone's got their own degree of risk that they're willing to accept and, and yeah. deal with. And some people will, will always look at the ocean as a place that they like want that risk and they yeah. want to know. They're like, oh, what gets me, it's going to get me. And yeah. they're going to go out there and they're going to wear nothing. And that's totally fine. It's a personal safety decision. But yeah. for a lot of us, we're going to say, hey, like, same as I wear a bike helmet, maybe I won't wear it, like, when I'm riding to my friend's house who lives just down the block. But if I'm riding to the store, eh, yeah, I'm going to throw that on, like, probably yeah. my car. But hey, you know, like, it's going to help keep me a little safer. And, it's just, you know, it's the same kind of thing here. It's like, it's just a common sense risk reduction measure, just like any other safety device that people can get out there and, and use to reduce the risk of, you know, an unwanted shark moment in the ocean. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Nathan, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I really want to thank you for sharing all of this with me and with everyone today. And I hope that this really at least provide some insight for people who are wondering, what can I do to help protect myself? Uh, and maybe those people that are thinking, I go out in the ocean, but I'm I'm just afraid to. Maybe this will give them the peace of mind to give it a try. Um, and I love your products, of course, and I can't wait to continue to follow all of the new developments and all of the new things that you'll be bringing to market. I'm very excited, as I'm sure so many others are as well, to see what happens next. Thanks so much, Curtis. It's really a pleasure to chat with you. I hope we can stay in touch and uh, perhaps enjoy doing something on the water together out in Hawaii someday. That would be fantastic. I would love that. <laughs> Let's definitely do that. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll be there in a couple months. Where are you posted up? I'm uh, on the Big Island, actually, just north of yeah, Kona. Nice. Yeah. I actually haven't had to go there yet. So yeah, give me an excuse. 
Oh, I'd love, would love to meet you in person and love to spend some time on the water with you. That'd be fantastic, Nathan. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you sharing the story and asking such great questions. And if anyone has any more questions, our crews always are available. You can write into us through the website and you know, we've heard it all. So don't be afraid to ask. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. Thank you so much as well. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Manifest Your Greatness podcast. If you liked what we've explored on this episode, then you'll love the Manifest Your Greatness coaching program. The Manifest Your Greatness coaching program is uniquely tailored to help support you on your journey to become the absolute best version of yourself. So if you are committed to taking the steps required to significantly and permanently level up in any area of your life, visit manifestyourgreatness.com forward slash contact. Again, that's manifestyourgreatness.com forward slash contact and schedule your free consultation call today. Talk soon.